Hey everybody, I'm Rob McMichael, and along with Tim Whitaker and Jordan Renault, this is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived, and how we can better represent him and his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little bit more about us, let's get into the episode for this week. Welcome to episode number 48, where we have guest Erica Renault on to join the conversation on an article that lays out several cliche and misleading phrases about marriage life. We use this article as a springboard for conversation about marriage, gender roles and distinctions, leadership in the home, and the practicality of living out the Christian faith in a marriage. Join us this week as we respond to this article and discuss these many topics. <laughs> okay, we're recording now. Oh, good. Now it's official. All right, here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Tim Whitaker, joined with my co-hosts, as always, Rob and Jordan. Hey. There you we go. You didn't say, like, hey, guys. That's what we well, were waiting for. Yeah, usually he says our names and then says hi, and then we well, say hi back. What I was going to say was... I used to, some, you know, back in the day, guys, like a year ago, um, we only had sometimes just Rob on or just Jordan because they couldn't make it to the house. True. But thanks to modern technology, I will never have to not introduce someone ever again because technology makes this possible. And lack of wonderful. sleep and caffeine. It's modern technology that has existed, though, <laughs> the entire time we've had this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's new in the last year. <laughs> no, no, no. It's new. It's new. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, welcome, gentlemen, as always, on the on the show. And joined, for, I think, for the first time on our uh, podcast, we have Erica Renault. Hello. Um, yes, hello, Erica. Erica is a blogger. She is a pastor's wife. She is a speaker, and she's a mother. That sums it up. <laughs> she also has awesome dreads. Was which that in order? Book of, is like ten cool factors. Was that in order of importance? Nope. Okay, I'm just checking nope. to make sure that I'm just I'm listing things off that that she is. She wears many hats. So, Erica, it's great to have you on. Thanks. Yeah, great to be here. Excited to uh, chat with you guys tonight. Perfect. Um, yes, Jordan and Erica share the same last name. This is Jordan's sister-in-law, um, <laughs> but there was no nepotism involved. We are an honest podcast. So, yeah, most of the time, no one, no one that we don't know would want to be on our podcast. <laughs> That's not true. That's how these things happen. We got Shane Claiborne on our podcast. That is true. Well, we showed up at his house with recording equipment. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty bad. Hey, Shane. (laughs) Hey, you got a minute? (laughs) It was pretty unprofessional because he's like, so what do you guys want to talk about? I was like, I don't know what your view of the church is, which is way too big picture for him. And it it, it went, actually, it went well. He was actually really great. We talked about the death penalty. but I, looking back, I feel it was, he was way too gracious for us. Let me, I'll put it that way. He didn't have to be that nice to have two no names go into his personal house, throw up recording equipment, and just say, "All right, let's just talk about whatever." <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's a he's a good dude. So 
he honestly is and he's right in philly which is even cooler if so. you want to listen um, to that episode though it's number 26 oh how do you know that because i know everything all right um <laughs> i i want to bring a couple of things up before we get into our main topic first off hopefully my audio sounds a lot clearer i want to explain to our listeners <laughs> if they listen to the past two episodes why the audio on my end has sucked and that's because rob has sabotaged me twice yeah. now two weeks in a row we switched over to a new platform for a recording instead of using skype we're using the zoom platform and the first night we used that my interface just stopped working with my computer so I used my laptop microphone, and Rob's like, oh, you sound great. It sounds perfect. So we recorded a whole episode that way. When I listen back, it sounds like I'm 30 feet away in an echo chamber, <laughs> and it sounds totally unprofessional. And then the next time we recorded, which was last week uh, with Paul on Lent, I had my AirPods in, thinking that would solve the problem. And that sounded equally terrible, really distorted. And I'm almost, I'm almost inaudible at some points. And Rob once again says, oh, you sound great. I did not so, say you sound great. It was just before the episode, you couldn't find a cable to actually plug your microphone in. Well, right. So my microphone is a USB um, microphone. So I lost the cable for it. So tonight, before we started recording, I ran out to Walmart to grab one. But I grabbed a micro USB cable. <laughs> And I realized that it's really a mini USB cable. So I had to run back out to um, Office Max to get the right cable. And anyway, I put a lot of effort into sounding good tonight, Rob. So this better sound good. Was Office that Max? experience a good reflection of the fact that you used to work at Apple? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. You know why? Because <laughs> Apple, we don't use micro USB. We use the lightning cables. We use USB-C. We're cutting edge, Jordan. We don't use antiquated crap. He still says we, Rob. I know. He thinks it's he's like a cult. You <laughs> can't get out. Once you're an apple, you're always an apple. I can't escape it. Now I can't escape Bob. it. Rob, what coffee are you drinking? Because I always see you drinking coffee. I don't drink coffee anymore in this podcast because it's too late. I'll be up all night. And well, I have to drink coffee. One of us at least has to drink coffee on the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I have true. tea. That's true. Is that okay? Yeah. That's Okay. Cut her, Mike. Cut her out. <laughs> we have a word for those people. Heretic. We'll make an exception. Uh, I am drinking organic dark coffee from Real Good Coffee Company in Seattle. Real I good? Just, Not even like great? Just real good. Just real good. Is that where they grew it in Seattle? Uh, great question. I do not know. If I saw diapers that were called real good diapers, I wouldn't get them. <laughs> these are these are just okay. <laughs> like they'll do the job, maybe. But you'll, <laughs> but you'll get some leaks sometimes. Fifty-fifty shot on how these diapers hold up. But, but so good. far, the coffee is real good. So, but did you order <laughs> online? Yeah, I got a subscription box. You're doing that, huh? It was way cheaper, and I can cancel anytime. How much a month do you pay for coffee? Twenty something dollars for like two pounds. Oh, that's pretty affordable. I pay way more than that. <laughs> See? <laughs> but you work at Starbucks, don't you get a pound for free? I don't drink Starbucks coffee. You Whoa. don't? <laughs> but you're a coffee master with Starbucks. That's true. Wait. Uh when I'm Which is why I don't drink Starbucks coffee. <laughs> <laughs> they've, uh, they've trained me right out of uh <laughs> right out of their quality bracket. <laughs> Wait, what wait, do you drink? Wait, wait, wait. I just have a question. All Jordan, right. before we started, said he sent Tim and I coffee. 
I did. Um, now I'm wondering, did he send us the free Starbucks coffee <laughs> <laughs> that I don't drink? No. Oh, I, uh, I spent an acceptable amount of money sending you guys something good. So oh, awesome. I don't know exactly what it is. I know where it's coming from. The I love this guy coffee company, but I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm going to do a, a, um, a roaster's choice. So I don't know exactly oh. what you're getting. Mm. I'm going to try I'll French press it then and go all out. I'll grind right. the beans by hand in a stone and then I'll put it in my French press and I'll heat the water up over an open fire. Okay. Yeah. Jesse no roasted problem. coffee one time in our apartment in Millville. And I cannot believe the police didn't come because literally the man <laughs> stood outside with a popcorn maker and this like chafe was blowing all over the place. There was smoke and this ridiculously loud noise. And if somebody would have asked him what he was doing, they would have thought he was lying when he said, oh, I'm roasting my own coffee. <laughs> definitely drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely drugs. <laughs> Rob, I, um, I actually just signed up for my own subscription box for meat. I did the butcher box um, company. Yeah. It's like 140 bucks a month for like however much they give me. I get to pick whatever I want. So Sarah and I are, are going to try it because we want to see if it will cut down our grocery bill and also our waste. Because I find that we often buy too much meat and then it goes bad and then we throw it away. And I feel terrible for many reasons, financially and economically. So we're going to see how it goes. So but Sarah's I, the only one that feels terrible that an animal was actually killed. Yeah, but she's changed. She she eats meat now. That's so. what I was going to say. No, no one else could be vegan and then go to having a subscription where meat is delivered <laughs> to your house. <laughs> that, that escalated quickly. There God, all, things are, all <laughs> things are possible. That's what that verse is about, right? Yeah, if you look at the original Greek, it's talking about meat. Yeah, cool. That's in Galatians. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, whatever language it's in. Yeah. Anyway, Paul, Paul does talk about meat quite a bit. That's true. It's a good point. So we're just following the Paulian method and we're having meat delivered monthly. <laughs> does, it, does it come from the temple? Yep. I hope so. Straight from idols. Uh, straight from idols. This is free range apparently. So anyway, we'll see how it goes. But I'm interested to try this because I know that subscription boxes are kind of the thing to do. So I'm not sure if it's economical or not, like financially viable for us. But we're going to find out. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Erica, it's really great to have you with us. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? What are, what do you do? I know you do a lot of things, but what are you really doing right now with your life? Um, mainly I am a mother because I have five kids and that takes up the majority of my time. Um, so I love being a mom. I love staying at home. I'm parenting a 14 year old down to a two year old. So my brain sort of spins sometimes of what that looks like. God bless <laughs> I'm, you. I'm changing diapers and arguing with the teenager. So, um, no, but it's good. It's awesome. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. And, um, yeah, but on top of that, I'm speaking. So, you know, you can call me a blogger, but mostly I'm speaking. <laughs> um, I like, speaking. Well, I'm trying to speak once a month. That's going awesome. I really have found like that I love working with words and I love trying to encourage people with words. So like some people are better at written words, which is why I'd say I'm not so much a blogger because I don't feel like that's my forte. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've really grown in the value of 
like putting the time and preparation and study into communicating God's word clearly to other people. So that's what I'm doing right now. Are, are you traveling a lot for these uh, speaking engagements? Is it more local? Uh, I'd say it's probably 50-50. So, but I so, mean, like I'm not going anywhere far. It's like Northeast, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, New Jersey. That's about as far as I go. Do you bring all five kids with you? Sometimes. <laughs> that is crazy. I don't know how you do it. If I get a gig in California, I will bring all five kids with me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, I thought it'd be great to have you on along with Jordan and Rob for a couple of reasons. Number one, you have, I think, some pretty unique perspectives in the sense of you have five kids, like you said, ranging from 14 to two. Um, you are a pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're also involved in local church ministry. Um, and you also, I personally think this, because we've hung out uh, quite a bit. I think you have a rebel streak in you. And I can tell by the dreads. Now you just say certain things that I'm like, I know that I know Erica's a fighter deep down. So I thought you'd be a good person to come on and talk about uh, gender roles in marriage and, and maybe in other places of life if we get there and getting your perspective because I think that you know, ultimately you want to do like what is God honoring and right and you want to have a healthy perspective, but you also aren't afraid to challenge maybe some of the um, church culture status quos. Mm. So mm-hmm. I remember, I, I think it was maybe almost a month ago, I, <laughs> I was on someone's Facebook that I don't like, some, <laughs> some friends of mine that popped up and it was one of those articles of... Uh, Probably Rob. You know, yeah, I think it was Rob's, uh, <laughs> Rob's uh, Facebook. And it was, uh, the title was Happy Wife, Happy Life, and Other Misleading Advice to Young Husbands. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm clicking on this. And it was from Desiring God's website, which I think is John Piper's thing. Correct. So I think, I mean, honestly, listen, I know that they have a lot of great articles as a whole, but I think they lean a little more conservative, a little more reformed. And when I read this, I said, okay, I can't wait to read this and see like what it's about. And Actually, I'm, I'm he said, I can't lie. wait to tear this apart. That's not what I Definitely said. Definitely wouldn't. <laughs> no, I have no recollection of that. Um, anyway, so the article is pretty much talking about the idea of this article is this author saying, I hear from women all the time that how do I get my husband to be less passive and that men are just kind of, they get home from work, they want to be on the couch watching TV. They don't interact with, you know, their kids or, you know, their wives and whatever else. And so the author goes on to kind of name, I think one, two, three, uh, five different things that we are told are accurate that really aren't accurate in a marriage. But I'm not, I'm going to be honest here. Um, I think he's a little misleading because he tends to be like, yeah, this is really good advice, but if it's twisted, it could mean this, which I think is what anyone would say, but I just thought maybe Erica, we can go down some of these and see your gut reaction and then see if any of these spark a larger conversation Got it. about gender. Sounds good. Let's do it. Which I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to go down. So, <laughs> all right, here's the first one. The first one that this guy starts with is the term happy wife, happy life. Gut reaction. What do you think, Erica? Um, my gut reaction is that that makes sense. So, uh, that's my gut reaction, but his premise here is he's like, these are easily misunderstood. 
And so while this maybe sounds like good advice, if you are prone to being lazy, if you're prone to being passive, this advice is going to lead you astray, which could kind of be said about a lot of things in life. <laughs> um, so I, I do like that he takes it a step deeper and, sa- and just points out how it could be misunderstood. Um, but yeah, essentially, you know, happy wife, happy life. His critique of that is, you know, don't roll over and play dead and give your wife everything she wants. Take on the responsibility, make the hard choices. But yes, your role is to uh, treasure and cherish your wife. So I can't say that I have too many hangups about his, his insight there. Was that right, disappointing? <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> I think when we were discussing this previously, that my big gripe with that phrase is because it, it puts on the emphasis that your marriage is all about your spouse's happiness or your own happiness. And that's what matters in a marriage where I think all four of us would realize that if happiness is the only thing you're shooting for in your marriage, you're going to have a pretty terrible marriage Um, because there's so much more to marriage than happiness. And there's times where we have to make decisions that in the end don't make us very happy, but they bring joy, they bring satisfaction, they, they bring meaning and they bring about circumstances or um, results that, will further our cause and further the glory of God, even though our own personal happiness would be sacrificed at that particular time. I think that would be my main gripe with happy wife, happy life. I think two things about this. First, I think that if the phrase itself kind of makes it sound like if this then this, that's the kind of statement it is. It's like, if this thing, then this thing statement. And so you, even without someone like being predisposed to being lazy, you kind of get the, uh, at least from this piece of advice, you get the idea that this is what you need to do in order to have a happy life. You have to make your wife happy in order to have a happy life. But like you are saying, Rob, there's really so much more. Um, first of all, is the point of life to be happy. I don't think we would agree that that's the full point of life anyway. Um, and there's definitely more that goes into a marriage, even just to make your life happy <laughs> than to have your wife be happy. Sure. Um, Cause if a wife is happy and her husband is always miserable, that's not going to be a happy <laughs> life either. <laughs> um, the second thought I had about this was just that kind of, again, similar to what Rob was saying that, I know for me personally and like with Stacia, we've had plenty of like hard conversations that were not happy in the moment for sure. Um, or things that we needed to say to each other that did not make each other happy necessarily. Um, but they were definitely things that were important and things that needed to be said for us to grow and for us to have a deeper relationship. Um, and I think the other thing he gets at kind of the, in the article a little bit is like um, there's times where I, he might say like more as a husband, but I think for both husbands and wives, there's times where you kind of have to step up and say, you know, 
no, maybe that maybe you want to be happy in this area or you're trying to do something to make yourself happy. Um, but I see that that's not actually what's happening here. Like that's not what you're, um, how do I say that? Like, that's not what, uh, is going to be the outcome of this. If you keep continuing in this direction, just where you kind of see something, maybe the bigger picture in an area than your spouse does. Which can go both ways. Right. So yeah, I think that, well, many times that Sarah has reined me in <laughs> like I had the best idea. Okay. That's good. Let's go on to number two. This one I had a problem with, but again, Erica gut reaction. Here we go. Number two, your spouse is your best friend. All right. My first thought is um, your spouse. I, I don't think it's implied that your spouse is your best friend. <laughs> I think as a marriage relationship, you should be continuing, continuing to pursue that relationship. So uh, I guess I'm picking apart the, your spouse is your best friend. Your spouse should be your best friend in that like you can make an effort to pursue deepness uh, and friendship in your relationship. But I absolutely agree with him that um, a marriage is much deeper. He uses the word dance, uh, that marriage is just a much more complicated, but in a good way also relationship than a mere friendship. So I love the idea of husband and wife having a good time together like friends do, but the reality is a friend relationship can only go so far. A marriage relationship is meant to go much deeper, be much more complex, and with it, much more beautiful. So can you, I mean, you know, I've been around uh, you and Jesse quite a bit in good times and tough times. How, how does this apply to you and Jesse, do you think, as far as would you not see him as your best friend then? Is it just something more than that or is this kind of included? Because I feel like he's, the article's kind of misleading where it's, he says a statement, your spouse is your best friend, then says, well, they are your best friend, but they're also more than that, which I think anyone in a marriage would agree to. And no one would say, she's only my best friend who, you know, if, if they're in a healthy marriage. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, if as I look at Jesse and I's relationship, I think about, and I think of, okay, like, are we, do we act like best friends? Well, in a super official, I guess, surfacey way. No, because it's way more complex. But can we get together and do something fun and laugh together and just enjoy the same things like friends do? Absolutely. And if we can't do that, then there's a big problem. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have a problem with, I, I like the, the phrase, because when it, what it comes to me as is when I think of, hey, is Julia my best friend? When you think of a best friend, you think of the person that when something happens, you immediately want to turn to them and say, hey, guess what happened today? Or, hey, you know what? I need to be called out. And that my best friend is the only one that knows me well enough to call me things that maybe I'm hiding. And so I, I think to, to kind of catch what you said there, Tim, I think your spouse definitely should be your best friend and needs to be your best friend and obviously is much more than just your best friend. But in that regard, they should be the ones that aren't afraid to say difficult things to us because if you're my best friend, I'm going to call you out. And I, Tim can attest to that. There are times where I've had to be like, hey, Tim, FYI, not really agreeing with what you're doing here. And Tim has done the same to me. And I know Jordan's in on that. And so we, we have this 
friendship that's built on I'm I want to see the best for you. And so I'm going to call things out or I'm going to carriage or I'm going to do whatever is necessary to build you up. And if that's the picture that's meant by your spouse is your best friend, I'm all for that. And I don't think anyone is saying, oh, your spouse, your best friend, let's just have a good old time. And, and uh, that's the end of it. Tim, when you said you had a problem with this one, did you mean you had a problem with the saying or you had a problem with the fact that he included it in the article? Yeah, I have a problem that he put it in the article because the title is Happy Wife, Happy Life and Other Misleading Advice to Young Husbands. So if you're just reading the title, right. uh, your spouse is your best friend. I don't see that as misleading at all because anything, <laughs> anything in the world can be twisted. I mean, no one denies that. Sure. But I have never heard or have yet to see someone who took that line and totally twisted. It. It's like, yeah, we're just friends. Like, that's it. Like, we're <laughs> close. Like, <laughs> it's not a thing I've ever heard. So I almost feel like articles right. like this sometimes are almost attempting to be controversial. But when you really unpack them, they're pretty standard <laughs> because it yeah. says like, yeah, of course, she's your best friend. But well, then why are you saying that 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 this title, your spouse is your best friend is misleading advice? It's not misleading. Yeah, I think I agree with you on this one, actually, because it is as opposed to the last one, which I would say is almost like an in an untrue statement in a lot of ways. Um, this one isn't really not true and it's not necessarily bad advice either. Yeah. Um, you just, obviously it's, you take it further than that. Well, I think it's, I think at least in my experience to have anyone as a true best friend, it's hard to let anyone in and it's really hard to let your spouse in for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, um, Sarah is a female. That's just a different relationship than with like Rob or Jordan. And it's harder to let her in on certain things that for some reason I'm just more sensitive to, you know, to have someone like my wife in on, but it's that much more important because when you do for me, it kind of uncovers what the term best friend can really mean. Does that make sense? So, you know, I think you guys are, are my close friends. I have other friends that I, I used to consider best friends, but Sarah has kind of replaced that term for me. I don't have really any other best friends but Sarah because she, Aww. I'll be quiet, um, <laughs> because she knows parts of me that no one else knows or no one else will probably ever know. I've had to be vulnerable, right? That's just what a marriage is. There's moments that we all have behind the scenes that no one ever sees that really for me bring out the meaning of what a best friend can be. Yeah. I like what you said too, Erica about like the, the point of the, your spouse is your best friend or your wife is your best friend. Um, because I think it's true that just getting married to someone doesn't automatically make that person your best friend. Yeah. It's like the marriage itself, the ceremony and crossing from not being married to being married doesn't magically change your relationship somehow. Um, and I think that applies to aspects of a marriage relationship beyond just being friends. Obviously, like we were saying, it's a lot deeper and they're all areas that you have to kind of grow towards and they don't just happen. Yeah. In this one in particular, this your spouse is your best friend one. I almost see it as the opposite of what the person in this article is trying to do, because in the beginning he mentions that men are passive. Well, if you don't want your husband to be passive, have him try to be your best friend. It requires a lot more effort than just being <laughs> passive on the couch um, and just watching TV. So that's actually the opposite. Where I would think this is actually great advice to a passive man. Like, Hey, instead of being on the couch, pursue your wife and become her best friend 
because that will get you off the couch and to, and talking to her. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Yep. Let's go down to number the next one, number three. Be a servant leader. So this is, again, uh, a guy talking to guys. Uh, this is a misleading advice. Be a servant leader. And I think his point I also would disagree with personally, but he mentions at one point um, that the husband should be like Jesus in such in such self uh, self. Uh, uh, let me retry. That the husband should be like <laughs> Jesus in such self giving sacrifices is without question or asterisk. Being a servant leader is great advice when both words are kept together. Okay, so once again, this is good advice. However, they are not. <laughs> so I think he's saying that sometimes it's either a servant or a leader and not both. And he goes on to say the paradox, the paradox of servant leader devolves in some minds into merely meaning servant. You sacrifice your convictions for any and all of her ambitions. You take on her calling, not because of exceptional circumstances, but only because you wanted to lay your aspirations down for hers. You coddle her, never asking her to do anything that she does not already want to do. Even if you think it is best for her, even if you think it best for her ultimate joy in the Lord. Um, okay, I, again, would love to see the situation where this is happening. Um, but I, and this could just be the rebel in me kind of thinking that I'm like, well, if you're married to a woman who has like a really great career, you know, there's nothing wrong with a man saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna support you in what you're doing." If you have, a, if, if a woman has a calling on her life, like for example, Erica, let's just use you as an example. If you're, sure. if, if, you're, if speaking really <laughs> took off for you big time to the point where you're full time, you're really traveling and you're having a huge audience, like you're speaking in front of thousands of people. I think that Jesse would want to support you and do everything he could to lay down maybe some of his desires to make yours come true. That doesn't mean that he's just a servant and that he's a doormat, but that doesn't also mean that, that, that you can't have both. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you on that. I think that rare, I mean, with a lot of these things, I don't know how often they are actually misunderstood. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how often someone is going to say, oh, be a servant leader. That means I just need to, you know, lay down everything for my wife and take no initiative or bear no responsibility. Right. So I guess his point is, you know, it's not being a servant that makes you a leader. You need to keep both in check. And if I am speaking in front of thousands of people, then I will invite you to come with me, Tim, and you can play drums. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesse, Je this awesome thing, like we've talked about this before, um, Jesse, like, is my, Jesse keeps everything in check. So if I'm taking on, you know, before I take on any speaking gig, I double check it with him. Jess, what do you think? This is going to be the implications for our family. This is how it's going to impact me, you, the kids, etc. And we talk about it together. So, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's on the money. I also think, and again, this could be the rebel in me that more women tend to lay down their passion for their men, who like are. It's more kind of common for like a man to have a crazy good career or in church culture be like the leader of something and women just kind of sometimes will tend to put their own thoughts and feelings aside for the sake of like being whatever it is that they need to become to make the husband's dream happen. And so for me, I'm like, well, why can't it go both ways? So that's how I kind of, I'm, I'm, I could be reading into this a little bit, but that's just kind of how I see it where it's like, well, like if this happens a lot on the other side. So why, what's wrong with it happening on, on the, you know, a female led side? I don't have a problem with that. 
Well, and I think too, you know, if you're talking about job roles, I think that's a little bit different than bearing responsibility for a family. Does that make sense? Go on. I'm listening. Um, so for example, you know, if someone's, if a female, if female, if the wife is making more money and the husband says, you know what, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z so that you could continue in, the, in this career path and that you could, you know, you're benefiting us, you're benefiting, uh, you're benefiting us financially and you love what you're doing. I think that that, you know, that that could be a great call. So I guess what I'm saying is there's a difference between career, you know, and letting your spouse lead, so to speak, in career versus, um, I guess when I think of leadership in a family, I'm thinking of the one who bears the responsibility and the general direction, the big picture life of the family. And do you think it's impossible to have two co-leaders leading a family and that one has to be like the ultimate leader at the end of the day? I would say that that's the husband's job is to be the ultimate leader at the end of the day. <laughs> that is not what I wanted to hear, Erica. Take that, Tim. <laughs> You're my feminist. You're going to say. You're in my corner. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, yeah. Hey, I push back. I totally push back. Listen, I read Happy Wife and Happy Life. And I think more, I think I know more women who think, well, happy husband, happy life. Hmm. In just a, I guess this is just how it's going to be. I'd rather my husband be happy because then we'll all be happy than if we have to hear him whine and complain or blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I know more wives who live that way. So when I read Happy Wife, Happy Life, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) Do you you think that kind of getting, we're, we're, we're starting down a rabbit trail now. Um, Do you think that there is any validity to the fact that the Christian subculture that's around headship, um, I think you defined it very well that it's more responsibility for where, you know, I don't, I don't think that the husband has to necessarily make more money to be the head of the house. It's, this isn't a tax situation where we're claiming head of household. Right. I agree. Um, where it's responsibility for, do you think that the Christian subculture that has taken it to mean something that it's not has negatively influenced family lives where, you know, they, they could have been set up better in finances, in, you know, just work schedules or whatever the case is because of the subculture that says, no, the husband has to go to work, the wife has to stay home or whatever the case is. Do you think there's any validity to that? Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I I mean, anytime. So anytime that there's like a dysfunction, I feel like the, the roles are questioned. Well, why does the man have to be the head of the house? Look how many abusive relationships there are. Well, I think the scripture is pretty clear that the man is to be submissive to God. Mm-hmm. And then the wife sits under his leadership. And Tim, I know you're cringing at that. And I'm so sorry. And I can't apologize for the word, though. <laughs> Amen. I can't. Oh gosh, Rob. <laughs> All right. So, so, but here's the thing. The problem is not the roles that God has laid out. The problem is sin. 
So when the man is not submissive to God, boom, that's a breakdown right there. Um, and I think so many times as a culture and whether you're Christian or secular or whatever, you want to pinpoint, yeah, well, you know, the problem is this advice and the church shouldn't be telling people, you know, this structure. The problem is not the structure. The problem is people and people sin. Yeah. The, the problem for me with this kind of stuff is like you said, it's, it's really more of what the, those words imply than maybe what they actually are fleshed out. So when, when I just hear words like, you know, um, under the man or, you know, God, I submit to God, Sarah submits to me, those words in my head just ring extremely negative and like domineering, right? Even if they're not meant to be that way, even if in a healthy marriage, that's not how it works. Those words just come to my head as, as well, I don't want to lord over my wife with an iron fist, but I've seen plenty of men who have used things like this in scripture to um, excuse just being a complete jerk to their family and really, really honestly escaping consequences of their dumb actions where, you know, they'll say, well, I'm in charge. It's my call. There's no collaboration there. And, and so I think that's probably my personally, my, my bigger pet peeve. It's not so much that scripture talks about this and even how Paul talks about it in the context of the church, uh, how the church structure works compared to marriage. It's that we've, I think we've seen this combination of American culture, masculinity of what a man should be combined with church uh, marriage hierarchy. And the result has oftentimes not been really pretty. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I totally agree. And I hate every time I hear a story about a man who is just selfish and domineering and, um, and, and takes that, takes this idea and uses it for his own personal gain. And I think that the Bible is super clear that that leadership is not to be used for your own personal gain. Listen, like we've talked about ministry before. My husband is a leader. Does he, and, and I lead in other ways. We don't just make choices for like what we think is cool or what we think is, is our preference. We make choices for the congregation as a whole. So if you're, um, so a man could use his leadership in a selfish and wrong way and way more often than it should, that ends up being the case. But again, I don't think God is wrong. I think people are wrong. <laughs> I, I don't think God is wrong. I think, though, like anything in Scripture, people can really read things wrong and put terrible interpretations on them and come out with all kinds of wackadoodle, crazy theologies. I mean, we've, we've talked Absolutely. about a lot of these on this podcast, all kinds of theologies that they build, that people have built even throughout the centuries that you look back on or you read now and you're like, that's crazy. But because you picked out your Scripture and you just read it black and white without any kind of context, you get to this other crazy conclusion. But right. I will say, Erica, to your point, something I've realized in my own marriage. So Sarah, my wife, um, definitely more progressive for sure. And definitely <laughs> leans a little more liberal, uh, even for my own tastes around a lot of things. Um, however, um, in our marriage, I found that there's a lot of moments where she just wants me to make a call on something. Like I'll ask her, Hey, what do you want to do? She's like, I don't care. Just make the call and I'll just go with it. I'm like, okay, like I'll just make the call then, which for me in the beginning was very uncomfortable. And I think part of that for me personally was 
I didn't want the responsibility of if I was wrong, which is pretty pretty much a coward's way of saying I was a coward. Um, in the sense of, well, if I'm wrong, I don't want I don't want the blame for it, which is a very Adam thing to say, mm. like in the garden. Um, but um, I realized that even Sarah, you know, someone who I think has very untraditional views of I think marriage and a lot of other things. Um, just the way that, that she's wired, there are moments where I'm, I'm like, what do you want me to do here? She's like, I don't care. Make the call and I'll follow you. And there are moments where that happens to me too, where I'm like, listen, Sarah, I don't care if you want to get A or B, just pick one up and I'm behind it. But I think ultimately, yeah. in, in Sarah's case, and I can't speak for all women, obviously, but in Sarah's case, there are definitely moments where she's looking to me for leadership, whether I like it or not. And yeah, I'm like, okay, I didn't really want to be put in the spot, but if you want me to do this, that's if, if that's how I can love you better is by being a leader in, in certain ways and collaborating with you in other ways, I'll yeah. go for it. Well, listen, and you know, I think, I think it's super important to clarify what leadership means. It means, you know, that you're bearing the overall responsibility for your, for, for your family as a husband. So practically what that looks like, I, I mean, I could probably... No, I can't. But there's not been a ton of times that Jesse and I have disagreed. And in fact, I'm not even sure I can think of one <laughs> that we've disagreed. And he's been like, well, too bad. I'm the leader. <laughs> this is what we're doing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because he loves me and he cares for me and he values my opinion. But at the end of the day, I want the comfort of knowing that it that he is bearing the ultimate responsibility for our hus- for our family. Um, Jesse's tendency, Jordan, you can back me up on this. He his tendency is to uh, not make not want to make decisions and kind of want to just like see how things fall and let things like play out because that's easier. Yeah. Because then he's not going to say, you know, then I'm not going to be like, well, this messed up, you know, it's your fault. Because <laughs> then he gets like, well, you know, and point to the situations and not take responsibility for it. And he's, you know, he's open about that, that that's his tendency. Um, but he, I remember just a few years ago, he said, I realize sometimes the most loving thing I can do is just make a decision. And I, I, I agree. I mean, I like to push back on him because that, and that's the rebel you see in me <laughs> is I like to push back on him, but ultimately I want to know that he's firm. Hmm. I, I think that's, we even see that, that breakdown in the garden because Adam, Adam was the one that got the commandment from God. Eve wasn't around when God said, Adam, you can eat of any tree except for that one. Whoa. Eve wasn't even there, but the serpent came to Eve because the serpent was like, I'm going to flip this whole role thing and headship and creatorial responsibility. I'm going to flip that around. I'm going to go to the woman and say, yeah, but did God really say, what did your husband say that God said and starts to question it there. And instead of, and from what you read, it seems like Adam was in the vicinity. He may have even heard this conversation going on and he wasn't, man enough to step in and say, you know what, that's enough. I'm going to take my responsibility as a man and remove this situation and cast the, the serpent out. Um, right. And, for and the go- good of his wife. Exactly. Yeah. Not, not to say I'm the authority here. <laughs> not to say like, no, I want the apple. I'm the man. Give me the apple. Right. <laughs> right. 
I mean, he steps in, just, you know, the ideal situation is Adam steps in, he puts himself between Satan and Eve and steps in for the good of his wife. And in that way, he's being the man, quote unquote, <laughs> you know, you see Rob's phrase <laughs> and not like, I'm going to be the man and we're going to do what I want to do. Right. So I mean, we see culture way too often. Because then you follow that thread through the scriptures and we have the second Adam. What does the second Adam do? The second Adam steps in and says, okay, sin has come in. The serpent has come in. I'm going to defeat sin and the serpent, not by saying I'm the man and look at, hear me roar, but I'm going to give up myself. I'm going to pay the price that should have been laid on the first Adam, but I'm going to lay it on myself so that I can save my bride a.k.a. the church and the whole world. Right. That's good. Erica, how do you handle, and this is open to Robin Jordan too, but obviously we're in a cultural time. It's very volatile on all different aspects, in particular, uh, in particular, in particular, the um, uh, feminist movement, I think, is on a new extreme on a lot of way, in a lot of ways, frankly. Um, and there seems to be a very big push of just a lot of like um, against just male masculinity and that male ma- male masculinity is to- is uh, toxic and that you know it's too domineering and it's too whatever and I think that some of their points I think are really valid especially the over sexualization of masculinity and um, that we've allowed like pornography to be a very normal thing that men just do and look at and I know it's growing with women too but the majority I think a lot of them are still men and it's talked about like it's no big deal. Um, so I think there's a lot of good points, you know, um, sexual harassment, that's all valid, but it just seems like sometimes those things go so extreme, um, that it's like, where do you draw a line? Like at some point there are, there are differences between male and female. That's just a reality of life. It's not a less or more thing. It's just a reality that we're made differently. And that's why the world works the way it does, because you need the sexes to, you know, to be together in all kinds of ways. (laughs) physically, emotionally, mentally, to collaborate for the world to go on. Um, So, you know, how do you see that affecting women in the church? And what are some of your thoughts on that? Hmm. That's a big question. I think I need a second to think about that. Another introvert. Great. I think Tim Tim just clarified that he is a complementarianism, a complementarianist. Way too big of a word, meaning, Rob. You got to break it down. Meaning that we, <laughs> meaning that we meet, need both male and female. <laughs> yeah, well, to be different. <laughs> yeah, and that they have distinct God-given roles. That complement each other. Yeah, that right. complement each other, as opposed to an egalitarian, which would take the view that men and women are equal in role, in office, in being, and in essence. Where a complementarian would say they're equal in essence, but different in role. Well, I mean, all you have yeah. to do is look at nature. Hey, Tim, you are. So, Tim, do you think that difference in role, like going back to something you said earlier, because I think we were talking about the passage that talks about wives submit to your husbands. Is that kind of what we had in mind earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, we never said that, but <laughs> I if just wanted to, I mean, to clarify one very, that. Yeah, yeah one very you. common passage used for sure. Sure. So when you were saying that you see that as a passage that men – or people in culture in general often take and twist and it ends up or people just get bad theology from that and they just live that out in a way that's not, uh, I don't know, it doesn't end well. It ends with, you know, a man using his authority for selfish reasons 
and to kind of lord that over. Um, I was going to ask you, like, do you think that that bad theology and the bad, like, living out of that in culture somehow changes or negates the fact that that's the way that God set it up to begin with? Okay, good question. Here's what I'll say, and I'm, I'll be very honest about it. There are mm-hmm. a lot of things in scripture that on the surface you can read and take a certain way. And then when you actually mm-hmm. understand and study what's actually happening can mean a, a much deeper, better, like holistic approach to what's actually happening. And that's my mm-hmm. hunch with the scripture like this. So um, we take the word submit and we, I, what I think of, honestly, when I hear the word submit in, in any context, I think of like an MMA fighter submitting his opponent opponent, putting him in an arm bar or a headlock and like to the, to the point where the person's tapping. That's what submit in my head just means to me. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. And I'm not saying that, that, that that's how the Bible is or is not using it in this particular context. So when I hear that word submit, I'm thinking, well, do I have to like force my wife into submission to like submit to my authority? I don't think that's, that's what scripture is saying here. So, but I think well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, first of all, it's not saying husbands make your wives submit to you. <laughs> it's a command to wives, not to husbands in that. Right. Right. But in that statement, right. Absolutely. But what I'm saying right. is that I think there's just a, a better meaning from other than, Hey women, like just be under your husband and like whatever he says goes and just be a good quiet wife and just mind your business, which I think we read that into the passage so often. You know, just be a good sure. homemaker, and we—that's when we take culture's view of, you know, or at least a traditional view of culture, um, a, a cultural traditional view of gender roles, and we read that into mm-hmm. scripture. So we go, oh, a submissive wife must be quiet and not a lot of opinions, and must just kind of be home making dinner for her husband. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's definitely uh, taking that too far and twisting it, and not really looking at the overall whole picture of that passage because we're quoting we're quoting one line from right. a passage that's much longer mm-hmm. and covers, you know, the roles of both men and what husbands and wives. And yeah, I guess what I'm asking is like, I feel like from what I understand of your position on this is I feel like you're kind of swinging it too far in the other direction to say that there is no uh, head or, like because when Erica said earlier that uh, she thinks there's a definite like leadership role um, for the husband to have the ultimate responsibility, and you were kind of like cringing at that. <laughs> like, why is that? Do you think that that's not what that passage says? Uh, I think I cringe because of just of the and this is more personal, but I think more of the personal baggage that I think about sure. with those terms. I think in reality, like. I'll use my own marriage as an example because Sarah and I have a really great marriage. There are definitely moments where I, I, all right, here's, here's what I'm saying. There are moments in my marriage where I'll say, Hey, Sarah, like, I think this is not a good idea and I really think you shouldn't do it. But there are also moments in our marriage where Sarah, Sarah will say, Hey, Tim, I think this is really not a good idea. And here's why I think you shouldn't do it. Now, ultimately, either of us could, not listen to the other. And in fact, we have both done that. <laughs> we both said, well, thanks for your opinion, but I'm still going to do it. And it's created like a rift or, you know, tension in our marriage. So that's kind of what I'm saying is like, well, I think ultimately, okay, if I was put into a situation where someone just had to make a call, we were never going to agree. Would I, would, would I say, listen, I'm just going to make the final call. 
I'm asking you just to follow me on this. Yeah, I guess in that situation, that's what I would do. But I've never had to be there because for Sarah and I, I view our marriage as much more collaborative, meaning like, you know, she has real strengths that I will never have um, and vice versa. And yes, I think I'm more naturally a leader than Sarah is, but Sarah's strength is totally different. And I need that uh, in my life to have a healthy marriage. So I don't know if that's, I'm not trying to beat around the bush. I'm just trying to explain like my view on it. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, there are just moments that I've seen in our marriage where both of us have led each other where I've been way off on something and she's brought up great points and vice versa. Yeah. That's just kind of how, and I don't think by the way that that's going against scripture. I don't think it's like, you know, an ungodly view of our marriage. Our marriage is extremely healthy and it's wonderful. And like I said, there are definitely moments where I've, I've been the leader, but there are also moments where Sarah's brought up other points on my end, I had to take into consideration that I'm like, yeah, this is a good point. I want to listen to you, not just say, well, I'm the leader. So, you know. right. Yeah, for sure. But, and I think yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like that scripture doesn't, uh, I feel like it allows for that for sure. It does. It's not saying, you know, wives, you have to be submissive and not give your opinion and just listen to what your husband has to say. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's, it's way bigger picture than that. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Erica. <laughs> I was going to say it's sort of funny because, you know, while in words, uh, it seems that we're disagreeing. Jesse and I's marriage, Tim, plays out very much the same way. There are things that I'm strong in that he is not. There are ways that just by being with me all the time, he has grown uh, because we're because I'm calling him out on things or I'm challenging him. You know, as much as he desires to make me a better person, I desire to help him be a better person. Um, I think, you know, this is one of those things where you, where anybody can take one verse and miss the whole of the Bible. Um, he, there's also in Colossians, I think, he says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And then even in the article, the guy says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's not hard to, um, to follow, let's say follow instead of submit. It's not hard to follow your husband's leadership if you know he's, quote unquote, laying down his life for your best interest. Yeah. Does that make sense? That, so you have wives submit to your own husbands. And then three verses after that, you have husbands love your wives, even, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So I, I definitely think that whole flavor is in there. One of the, one of the things that I've always, I've always thought that there was an inadequate explanation for was headship does not mean inferiority or superiority, whichever way you want to look at it. And I was driving home from work the other day and Tim will remember this because as soon as it came to my mind, I called up Tim and I was like, Tim, you have to hear me out on this. (laughs) But, and I knew he'd appreciate it being a gamer, but I I thought about it like this. So forgive the very uh, elementary uh, explanation, but um, so say you and your friend, you want to play Xbox or whatever your preferred video game console is and you walk in the living room and Tim happens to grab the controller first hits the X on the controller Xbox starts up Tim is controller number one One. (laughs) I come in later and I press 
the X and I am controller number two. The, the order of those controllers doesn't necessarily mean I am a worse video gamer or that I am in a better video gamer. I would say most of the times, whoever gets controller one is typically not the best because the guy that's better is waiting around for you to pick whatever level and go on, go on your way. But <laughs> the, the one that has controller one is given the responsibility to, hey, pick your level, make sure all the settings are right, Let's get this game headed in the right direction so that way we can play and have a fruitful time playing this video game. And I still get to choose my own character. I get to play out the game how I want, how I see fit, how I want to do. But it ultimately comes down to controller one. Makes, make sure we're going in the way and the method and going the way so that we can successfully play this game. And it just came to me that that's exactly what Paul meant when he said um, all of these things. Yeah, maybe Paul wasn't thinking about a Nintendo Wii, but <laughs> divine revelation. He probably That's exactly was. What he meant. Let's be honest. <laughs> it, but I think in our culture, it's something that we can then relate to to say, you know what? Actually, it, it doesn't mean inferiority or superiority in any way. What it means is someone has the responsibility to move this marriage forward and will be held responsible if the marriage never moves forward. Because uh, the Bible never says that Christ is the head of your house. There are, I've been in a lot of houses where you, know, you have this plaque up on the wall, Christ is the head of this home. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. Who the head of the house is, is the man is the husband. He is the one that is going to be held responsible one day for what happened in that home and in that marriage and in that family. And I distinctly remember, I don't know if it was the night before or a couple nights before, having that realization before my wedding that, oh no, what have I done? I'm now not only responsible for my decisions, I'm responsible for the spiritual, emotional physical well-being of someone else and Christ is going to hold me responsible for how I've acted with that with that responsibility and uh, I think that just kind of helped me get a better picture of what what does what did Paul mean by this did he surely didn't mean someone's inferior or someone's better what what did he mean it just means someone has to take responsibility for how this marriage is going, where's the direction going, and is is it moving in such a way that we can functionally play the game that it was intended to be? Can I just tag onto that and and at the same time answer your question about feminism? I don't have a ton of thoughts on feminism, but honestly, it is a reaction to men not bearing that responsibility and or completely misusing the idea that they... Uh, are more powerful, in control, should be able to do whatever they want. So feminism has gone some crazy directions, but it's it's really not surprising. (laughs) It's a reaction to years and years and years and years of of abuse, of misuse, of, um, of women not being represented well or treated fairly or treated kindly. So I feel like feminism is, is a natural, I mean, it really shouldn't surprise anybody. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, for me, that's, uh, 
I can okay. So first off, Rob, I think that's a good analogy. I I think you also mentioned when we were talking the other day um, that you know someone has to select you know start and settings. Like I think you said a minute ago, and just someone has to do it. It's not a matter of can can player two choose. Well, yeah, they they have the capability to, but just someone has to make the call. Um, right. But so but Erica, regarding that you know comment about feminism and you know kind of where it came from i i tend to really agree with that i don't think it just came out of nowhere overall i think that there's exceptions to every rule but generally women are like this is you know things are happening behind the scenes that no one's talking about and men are just abusing so and if men are standing up for them then they're going to start standing up for themselves right right (laughs) and so i think and again some of this can definitely be a personal experience i don't know if this is the whole of church culture but i if i was a guessing man i would say this is a more prevalent thought it just seems like church culture because of what feminism can stand for in some ways is i have an open to hearing that maybe men are abusing their power including in church culture and that maybe sometimes men are just kind of sexist and think that women are inferior and i think that there are places in in our church culture that we are just silent on and we don't want to talk about and that i've personally have talked to a few men and have seen a men uh and also read stories about men in church culture who just either refuse to acknowledge that we have um you know um a problem or who have been caught in sexual harassment scandals i mean i think about bill hybels who really started the whole secret friendly movement completely out of his church because of some serious sexual harassment. I mean, that, that's a major leader that behind the scenes is harassing women and then hiding it. So yeah. I think I just the way I'm wired, I tend to be an underdog person, always rooting for the underdog. So when I see like a push against something like, um, in this case, I'm going to call it toxic masculinity only because it's a buzzword and I think it, it gets across what I'm trying to say. That masculinity, can, masculinity just like feminism, can become toxic. Um, but I don't see church culture addressing it enough to be able to say, Hey, uh, we're open to having an honest conversation about this. We're also open to disagreeing on certain points, but we want to be able to explain why instead I just see short sound bites or I see it wrapped up in political rhetoric or I just see silence on it. And to me, that's just not good enough. Silence. What do you mean? There's fireproof. (laughs) Have you not watched the movie, Tim? No, (laughs) that's the problem. (laughs) I mean, I would love to be it more uh, prevalent that men are called to a higher standard. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, there's, and there's, listen, there's a lot of layers to this. There's a lot of connections to this um, that play a role in a lot of these viewpoints. And our culture right now just tends to be hyper partisan in all different realms, politically and all. And that, the political realms have a huge impact on how we see these issues because we assume that someone who's a, who um, is ideologically more feminist is automatically left wing and therefore they can't be good because for whatever reason. So there's a lot of layers there that it's hard to undo. But like you said, Erica, I would really like to see the church and I'd like to see men um, humbling themselves and saying, you know what, maybe we don't have it all figured out and maybe there's some, um, valid points to what these what, what, what women are saying about harassment and about things that are happening behind the scenes that as a man I will just never experience so we should be listening more instead of just yeah. you know closing our ears or um, covering our ears and 
maybe in some cases quoting bad scripture and just saying, well, we're in charge and just deal with it because Wait, we're the men. Quoting bad scripture or badly quoting scripture? <laughs> okay. Badly <laughs> quoting scripture. Uh, we're going to be all technical about it. <laughs> By technical, do you, do you mean true and accurate when you say technical? Because you made it sound like a bad good thing. Good point. Too. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the, I think when we see the church kind of shedding their ears to feminism, they're um, shedding their ears to uh, feminism, to extreme feminism, to women who are, I mean, what, yelling, uh, my body, abortion, anytime, anytime, whatever that chant was. It was kind of um, uh, scary, literally, to watch these women chanting, you know, that they can have an abortion at any point, at any time. And um, that should make the church feel sick to their stomach. Um, so if you're, you know, as a church rejecting that totally makes sense. If as a church, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and kind, like you said, kind of putting these labels and these generalizations to just drown the whole thing out, then yeah, you've missed a huge thing. The church is guilty. I mean, Christians are guilty of, every kind of sin, <laughs> just as much as everybody else. So um, I feel like a healthy church is always wanting to grow, always wanting to in, uh, encourage one another and become more Christ-like. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, for me, it comes down to if you want to change people, you have to build bridges. And I think that we're discovering that the louder we yell, the louder the other side yells, the more no one is heard. Um, and so how do you change someone when your only interaction with them is a soundbite on social media or an article that you posted that fires them up or vice versa? Um, you tend to get nowhere with that as opposed to really just engaging in dialogue, including topics like that are really uncomfortable, like in this case, abortion, which I agree, Erica, the hyper feminist movement in particularly regards to abortion is actually for me pretty terrifying, especially where it seems to be going with third trimester and even the uh, Democratic Party in this case really seems to be embracing it as a, it's just, it's a, for me, it's one of the few things where I'm like, listen, it's a non-negotiable for me, whether you like it or not. And, you know, I agree with you there a hundred percent, but at some point we have to have that, that, that we have to have that conversation, you know, and I think it was a bunch of episodes ago. We had someone on here who was uh, more on the pro-choice side, you know, and it was a, it was a good discussion. It was tough. It was, it got heated at times and we we're talking about what, what, what is a human life. I mean, obviously we're, we should be passionate about that a hundred percent. Hey, you know what I just read? Um, the Chinese, when the baby is born, consider it one year old. The day it's born, they say it's one, which it's obviously not in the womb for a whole year. But I was like, hey, I like that. Let's give some womb cred. Yes, some womb cred. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty great. That's good. And I'm, I, I, I'm pretty introspective about things. So when when I see something happening around me, I even if you know I hear a sermon or a message from someone that I disagree with or maybe don't like personally, I get, I always take it for what it's worth and say, all right, I may not like who's delivering it, but how can it, how can this apply to me? And I think even in this area, we can, we can look at, at the feminist movement 
not in all of its aspects, but in some of its aspects and kind of go with a modern day um, time where the nation of Israel didn't have any judges that would step up. So what did God do? He called women judges up and said, all right, you men aren't going to step up to your responsibility. I'm going to call the women just, just to prove my point that I don't need you to do what I need, what I'm calling you to do, but I called you to do it and you have a responsibility. And I think what we're seeing is the feminist movement, as we've already said, coming out because men aren't stepping up to their responsibility of what they should be doing. And I think all of us men could take an introspective look and say, okay, how can I better step up to play that role that God has called me in whatever sphere it happens to be, if it's, you know, whatever it is. But I think in times like this, we could all use a, a dose of self-awareness to to look at what may be the problem even in our own hearts and minds yeah yeah absolutely i I think it's kind of like you were saying rob when you look at like a general group and you decide to either like accept or reject what they're saying or what they believe it's kind of like um really i feel like it's pretty lazy thinking to just say, oh, I don't agree with this point that you have, so I'm not going to agree with anything that you say. Yeah. Um, if you kind of think for yourself and, and you can say, well, here's what the Bible says about this thing that you're saying, and here's what the Bible says about this thing that you're saying, and it might not be the same. <laughs> you know, I think you're right that, I mean, no group of people that believes a certain thing or ha- holds a certain ideology is going to be 100% right about everything that they think. (laughs) So it's kind of on us as individuals and as, um, you know, studiers of the Bible to kind of hold things up to uh, scriptural um, interpretation and see what the Bible says about it. And I think that's true of when you say something super general like feminism. (laughs) Um, There's definitely aspects of that that are so far out there that you hold up to the Bible and it's like, yeah, no, (laughs) that's nowhere near what God wants or what God has taught. And then there's other aspects where it's like, yeah, you know what? It's maybe our culture, maybe in the church has kind of skewed us towards um, not paying attention to that aspect. And we need to reevaluate what we believe about that. Yeah, that happens. Um, That's a great point, Jordan. And I hope that we as a church continue to grow and realize that we do that on everything. I mean, I, you can apply that to mm-hmm. the other extreme of, um, you know, the conservative movement. Like, are there things in scripture or are there things that, 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 that party stands for that we look in scripture and we're like, yeah, not even close, but I think no, as a whole, there's not. <laughs> but I think as a whole, <laughs> I'm just kidding. we're more, we're more blinded to that because we just, mm-hmm. for some reason, just assume that like, and for the majority of evangelicals, right wing is more Christian, even though biblically speaking, yeah. a lot, some principles for sure, just like on the left, you can find, I think, a lot of principles that 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 the left would stand for that are biblically sound. One of them being taking care of the planet. I mean, that's pretty, pretty biblical. Um, but there are ones on the right that you would think, you know, because you're automatically right wing, you're more Christian. But there are equally as many things that are not biblical. But that's a you know, a whole different topic, but I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I want to keep moving on. There are two more I want to get to going back to this article now that we had that nice rabbit trail. And the, this one, I think, is pretty simple. I think we're all going to agree. So one of the other ones, this is number four, that the author brings up as being a 
misleading advice, a piece of misleading advice to young husbands is that marriage is 50-50, which I do agree with that. I think that, and I think that's misleading advice for married couples, period, not just marriage. Wait, you agree with that statement or what he says about it? No, I agree <laughs> that, 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 that the term marriage is 50-50 is misleading. Okay. You also think it is misleading. Yes, I am in agreement okay. with the author's point that that statement, <laughs> marriage is 50-50, it's misleading. Should be on the list of misleading yes. advice. Yes, and I would also say that this applies to married couples, not just the men, <laughs> that this is hogwash <laughs> for the wife and for the husband. Yeah, this is the one area where being an engineer doesn't help me any because the math doesn't make sense. Because in a marriage, it's 100% and 100% equals 100%. It's one plus one <laughs> equals one. And it, it's hard to get my logical mind around that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Leave and cleave. Do you agree, Tim, with his first sentence in that part where he says, marriage for the man especially is not 50-50? No. I think... Marriage for both spouses is not 50-50. And okay, so you would leave out the especially. Yeah, I absolutely would because I'll <laughs> tell you why. I, the way I see this marriage is 50-50 statement, the way that Sarah and I have always understood it and have heard it said to us in our counseling that really helped us is that there are days, Tim, where you're at 75 and she's only at 25, you know, and there are days, Sarah, where Tim will, where Tim will be at 25 and you'll have to be at 75. And so the idea is, is that really marriage is there's, there's times where you have to pick up the slack for the other person because no one's going to be able to give hundred percent all the time. It's impossible. There are going to be days where, you know, Tim is doing something dumb and Sarah picks up the slack and vice versa. In particular, I think about what I went through last year with my panic and anxiety, you know, Sarah picked up a ton of slack. I just was like not mentally there to give the hundred percent that I thought I, I should be giving. And Sarah was there to help me pick up what I couldn't, what I couldn't give at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't really disagree with you at all. Um, oh, good. But maybe just to play, <laughs> maybe just to play devil's advocate a little bit, but he gives the example in this section he's talking about of, Basically, Jesus's example, uh, if you look at Jesus and the church as the example of marriage, like the Bible uses that as a um, metaphor for marriage, um, that Jesus laid down his life for the church and he didn't ask. I mean, he does ask things of the church in return, but it was kind of like he, he's pointing out like that the sacrifice was way more for Jesus than it was for the church in that. Do you think, what do you think about I, that? Honestly, I don't know. I, I think it's situational. I, there are some ma sure. marriages different for me and for Sarah and I, I think that we just find it. Like, like I said, what, what I said earlier about the kind of, um, filling the gap for each other when we're either not all there or just going through something is the best way that we've yep. seen it in our own life. I'm sure that at the end of the day, okay, I'll put it this way. Physically speaking, if someone breaks into the house, I'm going to die first, meaning like I'm the one going to war for my wife. I'm not going to throw her into the fray and say, all right, Sarah, good luck. You know, like there's 50, 50 <laughs> and I flip the coin and uh, it's your turn. Um, you know, so when it comes to that kind of stuff, like being like the physical protector of the house or, you know, um, looking out for whatever people who might want to do us harm. Yeah. I mean, that's me. I'm falling on the sword first, like a hundred percent. It's not even a question, but as far as like our marriage relationship goes, I'm, I'm saying that it can go either way. Okay. I, I always had trouble with uh, 
with the phrase of, oh, here's my better half. It's no, that's, that's not your half. She is 100% still who she is. And actually in my marriage, I need Julia to be 100% of who she is. And I need to be 100% of who I am. I'm not just going to be half of who I am for her and just feel we need 100% of each other at all times to be who God created us and intended us to be and called us to be. And I, I, we spend so much time thinking about, oh, is this, is this the one the Lord has for me and blah, 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 blah. Guess what? If you said I do, that's the one the Lord has for you. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> yes. Erica, what do you think? Yeah, I um I when before Jesse and I even got married, we had read or heard the advice somewhere that, you know, marriage is 100 100. And other, and you know, it's not 50-50. It's you go all the way to meet them where they're at and they go all the way to meet you where you're at. And I think that's good relationship advice. That's uh it's sound. <laughs> and um you know, there's times that yeah. Okay. So I know that Jesse's wired certain ways. So am I going to just like beat him over the head and wait till he gets on my page? No, I'm going to go, you know, to where he's at and understand him and talk from that perspective. And that's, he's going to do the same to me. He knows that I, you know, like to plan things. I like to get out the door early in the morning. He's going to meet me where I'm at. Um, you know, do you end up meeting in the middle a lot of time? Sure. And I think that's where that 50-50 comes from. But, um, but yeah, I think giving your all to love the other the best you can is really what a healthy marriage does. Good. I think we're all in agreement. I want to get to this last <laughs> one because this is the one for me where I'm like, this is the one where I cringed personally. So this is the other... Um, miss, piece of misleading advice to young husbands that he says, the statement is, play the man you are. And here's what he says that for me, and I think this is where I kind of, maybe I'm reading into it, but I, or I think I just know, I just know what he's trying to say. He says, our feminist influenced, Bible ignoring, headship shaming society wishes real men to be milder. They wish you passive. They wish you silent. So here's the war on men. Clearly, you you said that in such an evil sounding Sorry, voice. I'll try it <laughs> I think you're skewing it, right, skewing the right. audience against. I'll try it. to be neutral. <laughs> Our feminist influenced, Bible ignoring, headship shaming society wishes real men to be milder. They wish you passive. They wish you silent. Is that better? Okay, good. Right. Yeah, that was better. Um, but again, I th this to me just says the war on men. I'm like, what war on men? Are we? What 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 are we talking about here? I, this might tie back in Jordan to our toxic masculinity discussion with Gillette. But again, I don't see what what the big war on men is and why we have to use certain terms. Feminist influenced, Bible ignoring, headship shaming society. I mean, yes, we don't live in a Christian society. It's not a newsflash to anyone. So why are we shocked by this? But my issue with this particular statement is that it paints a picture that a man must be, I, I, the, the picture I get in my head is like, the man, you know, like the William Wallace Braveheart guy, the guy who is fearless in war, can kill people, is a true warrior. But what about the guy who's just more chill? Or what about the guy who's more of an artist? What about the guy who likes piano? You know, is he no more of a man because he's a different personality skill, uh, a personality or his skill set is different? I don't think so. 
I've never heard this statement before as like a commonly given piece of advice. Well, it well it should be clarified that it's not actually something he says. There's four easily <laughs> understood. So the four, the one is happy wife, happy life. The second is your spouse is your best friend. The third is be a servant leader, and the fourth is marriage is fifty fifty. He's actually concluding. That's the title for his conclusion. His oh, okay. <laughs> that's exactly so, my point. I don't point. think that's like a phrase that gets yeah. talked like, I don't oh, know. Like that makes more sense. Yeah, that's bad <laughs> editing. It's labeled the same bullet point as another one. Yeah, I know. It's not. Yeah. Oh, well, I misread that. It's so, not in quotes. Yeah. Either way. Tim, needed a, Tim, you needed a in conclusion. Yeah, like, well, yeah. <laughs> listen, the article's right in front of me. Every It's the same format as the other four points. There's no font difference. There's no formatting difference. Yeah. Doesn't have quotes. I was also confused, Tim. It's okay. Yeah, my bad, Jordan. I didn't mean to. Well, I feel like a real idiot. See, I am dumb. Um, <laughs> point is, I still disagree with, with his conclusion. <laughs> yeah. You disagree with his conclusion. Uh, yeah, no, I get there. Um, the just like a is a milder man is a more passive man any less of a man? I think is is the question there. No, they're still a man. <laughs> well, Erica, and I, I mean this sincerely, Jesse is a more naturally passive guy, I feel like. I mean, I've known him for over half my life, and he has always been just one way. But I've never right. seen him as, like, not a good father or husband or leader or pastor or man just because he's right. chill and is not going to – he's not, he's not a, an aggressive guy. He's never going to pick a fight with someone. No. <laughs> he's just never going to do it. But that's I mean, hopefully if he needed to, he would. But yeah, right. no, I think he would definitely defend if he needed to. But he's never going to be the guy to be the initiator or the aggressor. That's just not how he's wired. So, right. Yeah. No, he he's not um, wired to be. He's not. I mean, he I think the only kind of guy he has a hard time getting along with are guys who are like aggressive and kind of uh, ego crazy if that makes sense <laughs> right because that's not him at all like he just doesn't connect with that that's not the way he's wired he has no idea like no desire to play that kind of game um he is extremely confident he is still a leader he is still a man <laughs> he is still uh, i would say head of our house even though he is passive even though he's not aggressive even though he's not and and i would say this works to my benefit 98% of the time that he is just slower to act because he's more thoughtful. So is there like a picture that culture is painting uh, what our ideal man is that's skewed? Yeah. Well, I think in this case, it's Christian culture that I'm pointing out specifically that is, is participating in that skewed version um, because of the perceived war of manhood from culture, which I think to a degree, I understand what they're saying. There is a push in some ways, but again, I don't think that the image I'm getting from the Christians is somehow a healthier image all the time. I think that there are people who are really, look, you, 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 I'm speaking in general terms. There's always exceptions, but by and large, there's still a big perception in, in Christian culture of the man is the warrior, you know, defender. In fact, this person says, uh, God entrusts you to speak, to sacrifice, to crush serpents. Like, what does that even mean? Am I going around like praying over my house with like oil? I mean, crushing serpents? Am I stopping on the heads of snakes? What is, I don't know what, what kind of picture that, that, that jumps up in my head besides someone who's super aggressive and just like, you know, evil, calling out evil and just screaming at people. 
Well, here's the thing. He, he's getting back at his beginning point, which was, um, the, you know, that he was reading, the, it says the author and wife and clinical psychologist addressed a common complaint that women of various ages bring to her. So this is what he's talking about. Their husbands lacked passion for anything but the couch and the screen. So I think he's trying to bring it back to men. I mean, I don't know that he's saying it very well, but <laughs> I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that what he's saying is men, you were given, and I don't know that this is actually any different for women, but I, I think, I mean, I do think it's different, but, uh, but men, you were given this God innate desire to strive. You're given a God-given, I mean, think about a hunter-gatherer society. You were given this desire to, to conquer. And our, in our culture, that means nothing but negative things. Because what is that? Uh, climb the corporate ladder, maybe? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so in our culture, I don't feel like that has much meaning. I hope what he's coming, what he means to come back to here is, um, is look, man, you were called to be something great. In a godly way, great. I don't mean, you know, greedy, great. That's not, I'm not, just to clarify, um, that you were called to be great and do not fall into uh, a rollover passivity. Don't be this, don't be this husband that their wife is clicking on uh, this other psychologist's advice for how do I get my man to be less passive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, like you said, you know, for something to me that always sticks out whenever I see a father, like with like their little kid, that just always says to me, I'm always like, wow, like that's a man, someone who is in their kid's life, who has a healthy marriage, who is actively involved, who is, you know, to me, those are like serious attributes of what a man is, <laughs> someone who's stable, who is providing not just even physically, but emotionally for their, for his son or his daughter, who's there throughout the hard times. So, and listen, I mean, um, we use this person's um, uh, article as an example, but I think there are a lot of articles like this that the church has spoken on and some of them are great. And I think ones like this, they're, the author is doing overall, I think, a decent job of getting to his point. But I, I just think that there's a lot of room to kind of interpret what he's saying. So depending on whatever your your um, presuppositions are on what you think, you know, uh, speaking, sacrificing, and crushing serpents is, is going <laughs> to is gonna be how you internalize, like, yeah, like, I'm a man or I'm a man in a different, in a different way, you know. But I, I think that the, the essence of manhood is fatherhood is being a husband is being someone who is slow to anger is being someone who's willing to listen is someone who's willing to be humble who's willing to say yes i'm wrong those are not weak attributes those are actually incredibly strong attributes because it's right. easy for anyone especially a man who has a lot of ego naturally to 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 change behavior or to say i'm wrong i need help and those are all biblical those are all biblical qualities and that's what we should be using to define what man is, is those things that are all very Christ-like. I think we have a huge culture of Christianity um, that's prevalent and that, and in that, within that culture, things have been skewed. So, yeah. so we have these problems. <laughs> <laughs> I will also add for all of my conservative friends out there that are listening, that I also think uh, manhood is also standing up for what's right also being firm on issues that should be non-negotiables for us, but also engaging culture in a way that builds bridges but uh, and does not divide instead. 
I think we 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 have this culture, this Christian subculture, kind of how we started the conversation that can set things up for failure because of how they can be misunderstood. But I think the intentions behind them all are biblical and good intentions. For instance, I personally think that there is no higher calling for a woman than to be in the home raising a family. And, you know, argue with me what you may, but I I think there is no biblical way around that God puts a very high calling on that. And society would like to degrade that. And church subculture, I think, sometimes even degrades that just by how they talk about things or how they go about things. And that that should all be done away with. And it doesn't mean that every household looks the same either, that every household is a man making a paycheck and a woman raising kids. Not every household is, is like that and should be like that. And, but as long as they're subscribing to the headship, the leadership, the submission um, in the biblical sense, then there's nothing wrong with families looking different and households looking different. And we shouldn't be judging one another. Uh, your household doesn't look like mine. You're, you're doing it wrong. Everyone has the freedom to operate in, in the, the calling that Christ has put on them. But, um, and, and our Christian subculture shouldn't necessarily define or, or, um, discourage any of those activities unless they're going against the scriptural mandates. Yeah. I think that, that conclusion that the guy has here in this article, um, where he says, play the man you are. I think that's kind of a, I don't know. I, I guess I, I agree with it to the point if he means it to, to say that we are created, God has given us, has created us and has given us as men a purpose um, and a responsibility and a calling um, and that we need to step up to that and not sit on the couch and watch, watch that go yeah. by. Yeah. <laughs> right. Your wife and ignore it. Kids. <laughs> yeah. And watch the wife, you know, do the things that you should be doing right. um, in your family. And I definitely agree with that. And I, maybe Tim, I think maybe he does, you know, he calls on some certain things like, that sentence he has about the feminist influenced Bible ignoring <laughs> headship hating, whatever um, that definitely like swings maybe a little bit too far to he's addressing kind of a specific uh, almost, almost political kind of uh, issue there. But I think generally what he's saying, I agree with that, you know, yes, we do have um, you know, husbands do have a purpose and a calling given them by God. Um, and we shouldn't uh, take that lightly. Well, that's what's kind of interesting to me is I was just thinking about how we, you know, at first we're like, okay, we don't, we disagree with this article, but then when you kind of dig and talk about it, you find out that you probably agree on a lot more than you disagree on. But in the culture we live on, we live in, it's natural for us to want to pick apart other people's stuff. Right. And be like, this stinks. But at the end of the day, I mean, I would tend to agree. I, 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 this guy's name is, I think it's natural for you, Tim, to want to pick it apart. Uh, okay. <laughs> we, we were all thinking excuse, that oh, same thing. Me. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I'm a guest. So I get to say like crap. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just saying social media as a whole drives that that's just not a Tim Whitaker thing. People yeah. love to pick things apart. 
Um, but it's it's important to do because you want to know what they're really trying to say. Like I'm not, you know, this article is is really a straw man for a bigger conversation. I would love to have the author Greg Morse, if you're listening, to come on, and we can. I bet if we had a dialogue, we'd probably end up agreeing on more than we disagree on. And that's what I think is important here is that at the end of the day, it's really easy to critique someone, right, or to Facebook post someone. But if you had a real in-person conversation with them, most likely you're going to find out that you're not that far apart. It's just easy to be separate in like a social media internet bubble. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you had addressed it, you addressed addressed, sorry, the church at large. And I couldn't help but think like, yes, I, I see what you're saying with the problem of the church at large. But honestly, I don't see that in my own personal life because my personal church experience is super healthy. But that's because in my church, I have a lot of face-to-face, you know, real life, (laughs) real time, live interactions with the people in my life. And in those contexts, we're having these discussions. And in those contexts, we're praying for one another and encouraging one another and studying the Bible together. Um, So... So, and even take that to a micro level where this is what we're called to do as families is to have these discussions, you know, you and Sarah having this discussion of such and such and us with our spouses having discussions. I do think it begins in the family and then the church, and then we can look at the culture at large. Awesome. Well, Erica, it was great having you on. Um, Great discussion for sure. And I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. We will make sure to post um, your website and all that good stuff in the show notes when we post this. So um, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. If you like it, you can subscribe. Rob, people can subscribe now almost anywhere. Thanks to you. Almost anywhere. We're on our website. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher. Wow. You can find us. Lots of places. Great work. And we also would love some reviews. More than four stars or higher. (laughs) So if it's lower than that, just keep your opinion to yourself or DM me and and you can blast me privately. But for iTunes, make us look good. Uh, Five stars would be great. But no, but we always appreciate feedback. We appreciate um, everyone who reaches out. And if you have any ideas for topics or any thoughts, feel free to leave us a message uh, in the comments or DM us. So um, thanks again for listening. Thanks for checking out the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus. But where's the water? What's your plan?